0: good evening i'm glad that you're here to be a part of the worship service again today so glad that you get the privilege of uh, being a part of this assembly with uh, good folks like you appreciate um Irvin prince's prayer a second ago um, it's good to good to uh, be able to have we have we have new members who come to be a part of the church family here and i've enjoyed getting to know Mervyn over the past um, few weeks, and got to spend some time with him outside of uh, church, and he is a, a man of uh, deep spiritual insight, and, I'm, and I've been blessed by Merv in the short time that I've known him, so if you haven't gotten to know him, there's Mom, there's Jean sitting next to him, she's been coming to our ladies' class on Tuesday morning, and she also uh, she also has insights to share, so I know that you'll want to get to know them, as well as I was think, thinking this morning, I'm, I think um, Stephen King, who led us in scripture reading this morning, it's been new member at Hoover as well, and I appreciate these and others who are part of the fellowship at Hoover, and I look forward to getting to know them, all of them as well. And we got others here tonight, and they're blessing the church already. A couple things. Remember that our new quarter starts, our new educational quarter starts a week from today, and so there are four new adult classes that are going to be starting up next Sunday, and there was Made an announcement about it this past Sunday night. We'll put something in the, we'll have um, class descriptions Wednesday night in the announcement sheet and then the bulletin that'll be emailed to you on Thursday. So you'll have, if you missed last Sunday night, if you weren't here and you haven't seen or heard the descriptions yet, we'll make sure that we get those printed and get them to you so that you'll see them this week. And uh, those classes will start up the uh, next Sunday. And then that next Wednesday, start the new format on Wednesday night. So I hope that you'll be uh, thinking about that and praying about that. Um, as far as what that's going to look like and how it's going to be a blessing to the church. We pray that it will. So uh, just be be thinking about those things as as far as the adult classes are concerned. Of course, our children's classes will be ongoing. Uh, Would you turn to Psalm 31? If you got a Bible, Psalm 31? I know the answer to these questions, at least in a general sense, maybe not specifically with, with all of you, but I think I know how many of you would answer the questions I'm about to ask you. You ever had a health crisis, uh, a scare, maybe because of a MRI that didn't look just right, <clears throat> or some pain or some symptom that you're pretty convinced in your mind, and you did what you shouldn't do—you googled it, you know, or we went to WebMD or something and looked at the symptoms, and 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 then you're you're, you're falling apart, you know. You start praying. But I don't want to make light of that because I know it's I know it's real, and I know that there are very real situations and people who, are, who are part of our, our church family here. And you've prayed about those things, maybe surgery, maybe a, you know, maybe a, a diagnosis that you're anticipating, just trying to figure out what's going on. You prayed about it, you took it to the Lord, and you you know just you don't know, don't know what else to do. You've probably been there. I know many of you have. You ever been you ever been stabbed in the back by a a ladder climbing coworker using you, trying to use you as a stepping stone to get that promotion. Ever had that happen? Talk to the Lord about it. Made you mad, angry, hurt, defensive, wanted to retaliate, get them back. Perhaps. Ever had something like that? You don't have to give any kind of verbal or or, or physical response to that. Just in your own mind, just just think about it. Have you ever been? You've had that happen. You prayed about it, probably. I hope you did. You ever had a friend who you thought was somebody that you could trust with a secret, maybe something you're struggling with, and you, you found out later that that friend, that maybe a loved one, maybe a family member, betrayed you? Ever had that happen? Talk to the Lord about it? You ever had a situation with death, maybe facing your own death, or what you thought might be a terminal diagnosis, or maybe it's a prayer concern in someone you love, and And it seems as if the signs are pointing to the end of someone's earthly journey. You talk to God about it, you pray about it. I think I've really talked about three things basically. One is opposition from people. People hurt people, you know? You've been hurt by people before. People, the closer they are to you, the more they can hurt you. You've been hurt. Talked about health things. You know, you've, you've got, you've got physical constant pain, perhaps, or constant struggle with, with physical ailments, and death, the book of Hebrews talks about this a little bit, or It hints at this idea that we, to, to an extent, you and I live in a constant awareness of our impending death. I mean, I don't want to be overly morbid, but you, we're, we're aware of that as human beings, that, that, that we're mortal, we're, we're terminal, we're and, and so there's in the back of our minds, sometimes closer to the front of our minds, but there's always this awareness that we live in a, a world where everybody's terminal, you know. And so we, we face these kinds of things, awareness of health issues, awareness of, of death that we all face, uh, and, uh, and opposition from people, or people living in ways that they shouldn't. I say all that to say this. You've talked to the Lord about probably all three of those some, in some way, I'm guessing. It's what Psalmist does in Psalm 31. It's written, we don't know exactly, it, it has the superscript of a psalm of David, so if that's accurate, which not all of those superscripts are accurate, they're all, they are were put there a long time ago, but they're not all necessarily accurate. But if that's true, then it was written by David about 3,000 years ago. David lived about 1,000 years before Christ. A good, a good way to remember if you're interested in that sort of thing, you got Abraham at 2,000 B.C., David at 1,000 B.C., you've got Jesus, of course, 1,000 years after that, so 1,000 years after David. So you've got Abraham, 1,000 years David, 1,000 years Jesus. So David is 1,000 years before Christ, so he's 3,000 years ago. And if this is the case, and it certainly is old, it may not be quite that old, but it's old. It's approaching 3,000 years ago when this psalm was written by someone, maybe David. And it is dealing with stuff that you're dealing with right now. I mean, it's just, it's struggles, it's, it is opposition, it's worries and anxieties and all the stuff going on, and and you're facing that right now. It, it could be internal struggles on something, something else, but the principle is, the psalmist was writing about the human condition. How do you deal with it? This is a prayer. Now, I want us to spend a little bit of time walking through Psalm 31. It has 24 verses, and it is... It's a really neat Psalm. And as we go through it, listen. I'm going to read some of this. Listen to any verses that sound familiar to you. Some of the Psalms are pretty familiar. If I read Psalm 23, everybody would know that. This won't sound familiar to you, most of it, but a couple of places it will. And you may have, in fact, a heading. If your Bible's like mine, you may have a, a heading that kind of indicates that, where I'm talking about. All right, let's read a little bit of it, okay? Psalm 31, starting in verse 1, and I want to read through about verse 6. We'll we'll get through this, uh, but I I want to read just a few verses at a time to to help you to to get the the flow and, and kind of to break down the sections of it. Verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden from me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I'll stop there. He, he starts off with, with his prayer, and you heard the familiar part, the familiar... Phrase or most familiar phrases in verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. That sounds familiar to you, is because you're probably recollecting Luke's gospel account when he says Jesus said this. It's one of the seven last sayings of Christ from the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Anyway, we'll come back to that idea. But it's interesting, that kind of adds another layer to it, doesn't it? Interesting that when Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the last things he said was right here in Psalm 31. And most of us don't know much about Psalm 31. No, it's not one that we look at that much. So I think that adds a little extra layer of intrigue, perhaps, to why we ought to study this. So in the first five verses, he offers this prayer. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Just a number of general things. He puts confidence in the Lord, but listen to me. This is the way a lot of Psalms begin. I trust you. I'm committing my spirit to you. I'm committing my soul to you. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You've, you've, been, uh, you, you've, you've answered me in the past. It's, it's that kind of thing. And then go on. Verse 6, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a, in a broad place. So if you notice the progression, many times the Psalms can serve as a prayer template for you. If you're ever struggling in your prayer life, and if you've prayed for long, you have struggled with your prayer life. Times where you feel like it's not going well, I don't want to pray, or when I pray I don't feel like God is hearing me, or I feel like I'm saying the same thing every day, You just get in a rut. If you ever do that, start going through the Psalms and praying them and adapting them for your own situation. That is something that will be helpful to you. And and that's one of the reasons why they're preserved for us. They were the prayer book of the Jewish people, the song book of the Jewish people. So you can take this kind of as a template. And the first part he does is he says, you know, in in you, Lord, I take refuge. I I trust in you. You've you've redeemed me. Listen to me. Hear me. You know, that's a good way to start a prayer. God, hear me. And then he says this. This verses 6, 7, and 8 are, I trust in you. It's a, it's a statement of trust. So a general prayer request, and then the statement of trust in verses 6 through 8, I'll rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. That is that, if you've been here for long, we've talked about this idea. It's the Hebrew word transliterated, H-E-S-E-D, or that, that H is the, like the hard K sound. It's like a C-H, except it's a little bit harder than that. It is this Old Testament very important idea of, translated in the ESV, usually, steadfast love. Uh, your, your translation may have loving kindness if you're using the King James or maybe the New King James. Or it's, it's, it's this idea of God's nature in His taking care of His people. So God is always faithful. Uh, in, in this word, this uh, Hebrew word, it's bound up these ideas of faithfulness to the covenant his love, his mercy, and his kindness. So all those kind of bound up in one. So he, he, he asks this prayer, please listen to me, O Lord. And then he says, I trust in you because you are a God of Hesed. this uh, steadfast love, the kind of God you are. I know that. Then verses 9 through 13, this is the meat of the prayer, okay? This is what you'd call, what they call a lament, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. So this is there are a couple of grammatical things here in the Hebrew language that say, okay, we, everything we've been building up, the first eight verses get you to the lament, and then we've got the lament, 9 through 13, and then everything kind of comes off of that. All right? So it's kind of building up to this, and grammatically, uh, the way that is written, it, it comes to this. All right? So this is the center of it, the lament. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life." This is the lament, and the David, or whoever the psalmist was, is crying out to God because of distresses he was facing. And because of how general this, this psalm is, most scholars think that it's not, to be, it's not to be pinpointed to any specific person like David, or certainly not to any special time in his life. Like, you can't take this psalm and go to when, where David was or where somebody was or the specific things they're dealing with. This is a general psalm meant to be adapted to people in every era. So, he's talking in generally, but he says, in verse 9, I mentioned this earlier, but he says, you know, my, my, my eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. I've got sorrow and sighing. My strength is failing because of my iniquity, so there's the sin problem. My bones waste away. And then I've got these adversaries, and they're, and they're causing people close to me to turn away from me. Those who uh, see me in the street flee from me. I become like one who's dead, like a broken vessel, the whispering of many, terror on every side. In other words, I'm surrounded by distress. So it's a, I don't know, I don't know what he was dealing with specifically, uh, but I know that most of us have felt to an extent like this at times, like the world is just crashing in on me. I'm stressed out, uh, you know, we're, we're deal- just. Constant, one thing after another, surrounded by distress, all this stuff. Why are you letting this happen to me all at once? You know, I can deal with it on occasion, but all at once, why? And so the psalmist says, I'm in the middle of it. So ask God, listen to me. I trust in you. Here's what I'm dealing with, Lord. Here's what I'm facing. I'm about to, I'm about, I, can't, I can't go on like this, you know? So that's, his, that's his, the main part of his prayer. <coughs> and the prayer actually goes to verse 18. And so then after the lament, he goes back and he expresses his trust in God again. Look at verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. So, do you remember Remember the pattern here? First, he has a prayer to God. And then he says, I trust in you. And then he says, here's what I'm dealing with. And then he says what? I trust in you again, which is a restatement of what he just said. Okay, do you notice that, that pattern? Okay, and then the end of it, the end of the prayer is verses 15 through 18. And this is, these are words of prayer again. All right, look, listen as I read. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Hear that word? O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And that's the end of the prayer. I'll look at the last part where he ties it all together at the end, but that's the end of the prayer part of the psalm. So do you see the pattern? He, He makes this plea to God. He says, I trust in you. He offers the lament... He says, I trust in you again, and then he wraps it up by going where he started, and that is a prayer to God again, an appeal to God. So an appeal, statement of trust, this is my lament, statement of trust, and an appeal to God again. This is that structure that you often have in the Old Testament, and in the center of it, the lament is the meat of the prayer. But it's prefaced by a plea, statement of trust, the lament, the lament statement of trust, and the plea. And so that's, that's how the psalmist is, is writing this poetry. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the thing. Now, here's an interesting, and I won't spend too much more time on, on this, but here's the interesting thing that I think you'd want to know. <clears throat> there's a pretty big gap between verses 18 and 19, a gap in the sense of there's a gap in thought, because it seems like something happened between 18 and 19. Because in verses 19 through the end of the chapter, end of the Psalm, verse 24, you you've got him acting as if the prayer's been answered. So in, in verses 1 through 18, he's, you know, he feels like you feel like man, he's, he's, he's crying, he's in distress, he's surrounded by terror, he's appealing to God, please hear my prayer. And then you get to verse 19, and he says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. And work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I had said, notice past tense here, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let the Lord take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And so you've got this, a different tone in the last five, six verses of this psalm. It's like he prays in the first 18 verses, and then there's this switch where he acts as if the prayer has already been answered. So you can deal with that in a couple of ways. One way would be um, you anticipate that God is going to answer your prayer. So that's perfectly legitimate. That's a legitimate way to read it, you know. Uh, uh, he, he prays, and then he finishes up this psalm by praising God for answering the prayer, even though God hadn't actually answered the prayer yet, but he's going to. You anticipate that. Most people, most scholars seem to think, though, it's a little bit different, um, that probably what happened is this is a psalm that they would read in, in the, in the temple, or in the synagogue, and you would have a priest or a prophet or someone who is in a position of authority, and the way, that you would, the way that this would have been originally done is this is a prayer that would have been prayed, the first 18 verses, and then there would be a break where the priest or the prophet would, by divine inspiration, would make a pronouncement, and that is, Something like this. God has heard your prayer and he is going to answer it the way that you've prayed it. And then he writes the rest of the psalm. You see that, that, kind of, that kind of thing? That this psalm would have originally been created in a situation where it was meant to be prayed and then the synagogue leader or the temple leader would make a pronouncement on behalf of God saying, I'm gonna do this, I hear you, I'm gonna answer your prayer. And then the rest of it is praising God for what he has said he will do. That's a slightly different nuance than just anticipating God's answer where there's actually a, a response on the part of someone present who would pronounce this divine, uh, this divine response from God that he's heard your prayer and he's going to do it. Now, regardless of that, you have this optimistic tone at the end. So a, a deep prayer of distress followed by confidence in the answer of God as if it's already happened. Now, let me uh, just, just a couple things before we, before we finish up that I, I want you to notice. One is this. Look how in the closing part of this, he goes back to things he's prayed, and he says something about God's answering it. Look in verse 19, for example. Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. I know you haven't read this much lately probably but does that sound familiar to you who take refuge in you? You go back to verse 1 and he says, "O oh Lord, do I in you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge?" And then he comes back to that in verse 19 and he says, "You are good to those who take refuge in you." Look at verse 20. "In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men, you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues." That's an interesting phrase. The strife of tongues. And you go back to verse 18, and he's got people, and you can go back earlier as well, but verse 18, he's got people who are using their tongues to hurt him. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. So when he gets to the end of it, of this, and he's anticipated God's response, he goes back to things he's prayed about and says, you do this, you deal with that thing that I, that I talked to you about. In verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. That's that word again, steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, you can go back to verse 16. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And then in verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. So he's talking about the attributes of God and how God responds according to his nature. Verse 22 I had said my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. And if you go back to verse 2, he says, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. He's calling to God for help, and he says, you help me, you heard my prayer. And then the last one, verse 23, he says, love the Lord all you, his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. So God responds well to the faithful, but he punishes the wicked which is exactly what he prayed back in verse six. I hate those who pay regard to worth of the idols, but I trust in the Lord. Now you just got these, all these parallels here. All right, so a couple of ideas to, to share with you and we'll close out. One is, um, why don't you go home tonight if you don't already have something you're gonna do with your, your devotional time and pray this psalm. I'd love, I'd love for us to do that as a church to, to pray this psalm. You might read it. Uh, you, you might read it as a family. You might, uh, you might just read it silently to yourself, uh, but take the thoughts in it and, and pray them to the Lord. Uh, you, you can adapt it, of course. I think it's, that's why it's there. It's, it's, meant, to be, it's meant to be timeless. Uh, these are things that everybody deals with. You, you deal with sin problems, you deal with physical problems, you deal with anticipating death, and you deal with opposition from people around you. In fact, most, most of the problems you and I are dealing with right now fall into somewhere in the psalm, I'm guessing. So you pray the psalm and end it with a section in verses 20 through 24 where you say, God answers prayer. Okay, now here's the last thing. Go back to where we started. <clears throat> into your hand I commit my spirit. Why did Jesus use this psalm with his dying breath? You know he's quoting throughout his time on the cross. He he quotes psalms. Um, He, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a quotation from Psalm 22. And this is a quotation from Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now think about it. Usually when Jesus quotes a psalm, he's not just quoting this little part. Well, he is quoting just part of it, but he's not meaning for us just to take that little part of the psalm. He's aware of the whole psalm. He wrote it, right? I mean, he gave it to David. He gave it to the psalmist. So he's very aware of the entire context. So when he quotes a little part of it, he knows the rest of it. And usually he has in mind the meaning. Let me give you an example. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's often called the cry of dereliction. In Psalm 22, if you look at it there where the psalmist cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you read it in context, you read the entire psalm, at the end of that psalm, it's not a hopeless thing. It's not hopeless because God answers. He hasn't abandoned him. He hasn't abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the answer to that is he hasn't. Sometimes we feel like it, but he hasn't. But when Jesus was on the cross, think about it before you answer when Jesus was on the cross, did God the Father abandon the Son? In some sense, I don't necessarily like that language. Maybe there's a better word, but in some sense, that did happen because of sin. Not Jesus's sin, but because of yours and mine as Jesus took the brunt of the punishment that God in some sense could not look favorably on His own Son as He bore our sin on him, you know? So, whereas the psalmist in Psalm 22 cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is, if you read the rest of that psalm, actually God did not forsake you, but he forsook his son. Now, here in Psalm 31, the psalmist cries out, into your hand I commit my spirit. And if you read that in context, what happens at the end of the psalm? God took care of him. He answered his prayer. So into your hands I commit my spirit and you saved my life. That's the end of the psalm. You did not allow me to, to be killed by my enemies. You did not allow all this stuff to happen. So the answer again is favorable. God is faithful and he responds to this prayer the way it was prayed. Okay, now again, think about this before you answer it. Did, Jesus, did, uh, did God the Father respond favorably to the prayers that Jesus prayed? You remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, my Father, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then here on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And if I'm right on this, then, then Jesus has in mind this whole psalm. And the answer to the, the psalmist's prayer was God has answered the prayer And he has saved the life of the one who prayed it. The psalmist did not die. He's worried about dying. He's worried about his health. He's worried about his enemies killing him. And the answer to that was God answered that and he did not allow the enemies of David or the enemies of the psalmist to kill him. How did God answer on the cross? Jesus died. He he died. So So in a sense, God did not answer the prayers the way Jesus prayed them. Why? Because he Intended to save you and me. And in his not giving Jesus, as it were, another way, let this cup pass from me, but by letting him die, he makes it possible for us to live. So, think about this. It's It's pretty interesting to reflect on. In so many ways, Jesus received the punishment we deserved. He was not spared from death so that you and I might be spared from eternal death. It's a really incredible thing. But here's another thing, and I've got this idea from, um, I think his name is Peter Craigie, but here's another thing to think about. God's not always gonna answer your prayers the way you pray them. You know? Just like he didn't answer Jesus' prayers the way he prayed them, He's not always going to answer yours or mine. In fact, when I was talking about that earlier, sickness, death, opposition from your enemies, maybe, maybe sin issues, there are things that you've prayed about and you can look back on them right now and, and see well, God didn't answer that. There's, there's coming a time. I mean, again, I don't want to be overly morbid, but there's coming a time when you and I, if, if, if the world stands, God, Jesus delays his coming, there's going to come a time when you and I are lying on our deathbed and people are going to be praying, for God to spare our lives. And God's going to say, no. It's just inevitable. So can you have hope when that happens? The answer to that is yes, because of the empty tomb. See, this this psalm can only be prayed, I think, fully on on our side of the cross uh, because the psalmist did not have full awareness of what God was doing in the world. You and I have a more complete a more mature awareness because we have the cross and because we have the empty tomb and the revelation of God's will. And so when we pray, into your hand, I commit my spirit, we might be praying for God to spare our lives, and God says no. Or we might be praying for God to rescue us from this physical ailment, and God says no. Or we might be praying for God to rescue us from this opposition from people at work or wherever, and God says no can we have confidence that God will accomplish his will even when he says no to our prayers? The answer to that is yes. So I I think that's a good way to read Psalm 31 is an anticipation of what, well, from our perspective, looking back to what Jesus did at the cross. Now, if you're not a Christian, we haven't been talking about, you know, fundamental kind of stuff tonight, I guess. But we want to give you an opportunity to uh, to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, Maybe there's someone here tonight you've been thinking about, studying about, praying about what God would have you to do and you've come to the point in your life where you want to take that step of faith and uh, complete your obedience as you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and put him on in the waters of baptism, we would be thrilled to help you in your obedience tonight. And maybe you're ready to do that. Confess your faith, to turn from your past, to, to be baptized. And we uh, would, uh, would pray that someone would make that decision. Could be that you need to come back, you've done that but you haven't been faithful to him and you want to ask for prayers. Let's stand and sing this song for your encouragement.